it's a little bit blunt to sort of suggest that there are sort of only two kinds of people in the world, you know, those who surround themselves with people who are smarter than them and those who surround themselves with people who are not smarter than them. And like, I always, always, always want to hire somebody who's smarter than me, better than me, faster than me, and encourage and nurture that. From Vetex International, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm joined by Martin Trubwerner. Martin is the founder and former CEO of Vet Success, a business helping practice owners improve their decisions by taking objective data sucked from the practice management software and turning it into meaningful insight. He holds a BA in economics and Spanish from York and a master's in industrial and labor relations from Cornell. His early career was spent cutting his teeth in the HR department of a global manufacturing organization. He then took a tour of duty through the various business departments of both Fortune 500 companies and small businesses gradually learning his craft. Having served a very handy apprenticeship, Martin began his entrepreneurial journey for real, setting up a marketing automation business. A complete fluke conversation caused a pivot into data intelligence and vet success was born. The business subsequently grew to a market-leading position in data analytics for practices and in January 2021 was acquired by VetSource. After a year working as the head of data and platform technologies for VetSource, Martin left to start up his latest venture, VetBooks, a bookkeeping service looking to democratize timely access and understanding of vet practice financial data. Martin's other notable career contributions are as co-author of Veterinary Practice Management Essentials and he sat as the chair of Vet Partners Practice Management Special Interest Group for two years. Now, before we jump into the episode, a quick word from today's show sponsor. Introducing the Vet Career Concierge Service. It's an easy way to find your dream job and it's a brilliantly simple concept. Instead of wasting time searching through thousands of practice jobs that might be a good fit but frequently aren't, let the Vet Career Concierge do the hard work. All you have to do is register, tell us all about your skills and what you're looking for from your next practice, then your career concierge goes to work filtering, matching and approaching only practices who are a good fit. If you like the sound of a practice you want to meet, your concierge will coach you through the interview process, help with negotiations and work to ensure you have a smooth transition into practice when you accept a role. They'll even stay in touch with scheduled career check-ins to make sure you're happy. The service is open to vets and vet nurses with at least one year in practice and legally able to work in the US, Canada, UK, EU or Australia. To register, visit vetxinternational.com forward slash jobs and all registrants will be entered into a prize draw where you could win an Apple Watch, Magnum of Champagne or one of several Amazon gift cards. Registration and membership is free for vets and nurses. So head to vetxinternational.com forward slash jobs to sign up today. Now back to the show. Martin is that most rare of things, a data nerd who speaks fluent human. He's not an easy guy to put in a box. He's an entrepreneur for sure and loves solving puzzles, but he's just as likely to view his team as a puzzle to solve. And it's that quality, I think, that makes him such a standout as both a terrific leader and human. Well, it could be that, or it could be his ability to absolutely rock a bow tie and flat cap combo. Seriously, this guy can pull it off. The only thing I did not enjoy about the episode was how short a time we had to record, but what we lacked in time, I'm absolutely sure we made up for in value. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy this conversation with the effervescent Martin Trobwerner. Welcome to another episode of Blunt Dissection. We are over in Indianapolis. The sun is in the sky. It's game day here. The Colts fans are 
flocking up the streets to go shout for their team today. And I've just had a lovely lunch with today's guest. And I'm really excited to have Martin Trubwarner on the show today. So welcome to Blunt Dissection, Martin. Thank you, my friend. It's awesome to have you. I like these conversations because I would say when I'm on the podcast, I like to interview people who are interesting to me. So there's com- they're completely selfish conversations that everybody else gets a little voyeurism of. But I came aware of the work that you were doing, not with the business you're working with now, but with your previous business, Vet Success, and the data and the analytics and the knowledge and the insight that you must get from that. So when I heard about the work you were doing, I'm like, oh, that's somebody I would love to talk to and learn a little bit more about. But before we get into any of that, I kind of wondered, you're not a veterinarian, that's not your background. How the heck did you find your way into this hot mess of veterinary medicine? (laughs) Listen, how do entrepreneurs find their way to anything? It's sort of like, you know, you wildly stumble around and you follow one thread and then you keep following it. I often say as a business owner, you know, I spend my time looking for ways that my business is going to die and closing those loops. And then one day you wake up and you find (laughs) out, oh my goodness, I've birthed a thing and it's like bigger than me and it's great. But for every one of those, you, you also have those that you know die along the way. Okay. Well, that's the first point of interjection in that case. And I'm kind of I almost want to compare notes here on how many wins to how many fails. Like, what's your win-to-fail ratio for oh, setting up businesses? I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't have a scorecard. My wife has accused me of building $10 million businesses in my head faster than anybody she knows. <laughs> There's a hundred ideas for every one that sort of tries to see the light. So, Do you have any favorite fails along the way, for want of a better question? Or memorable moments that sort of helped to define you as who you've sort of Oh, yeah, actually, holy cow, yes, favorite fails. I mean, not favorite fails, but like... You can laugh now. Oh, man, no, there's some painful, like... I mean, Vet Success was sort of a phoenix from the ashes. It was a previous business, and I had a business partner, and we'd been working together 10 years, and we had a reasonably okay business. We survived the two Dot and then com. yeah to 2002 and then 2008 and it's like i was like if i never see 2008 again it'll be too soon and we landed a piece of business and there was just barely enough money in it to sort of execute the piece of business and he needed to take money and i needed to take money and the, the thing just went like we just kind of exploded, exploded a little bit what was yeah. that thing it was a marketing automation piece of software. Oh. Well, listen, I built a CRM system, stupidest thing you could possibly do, right? It's like, I know, let's build a CRM system because yeah, salesforce.com probably isn't going to be a thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like so funny. That actually gets my attention because I, I love a good piece of CRM automation. I, I use Keep a lot in my business and learned a lot from HubSpot when it was too expensive for me to afford but I had so much great educational content on there. Was that sort of the market you were playing in? Yeah, I mean, we were specifically sort of um, looking for professional services markets. We were working with financial services people and those kinds of things. And we, you know, we built technology. I had no idea what I was doing. We, we wrote the first piece of software we built was it was using a programming language called Perl. And you couldn't find Perl developers. And then you found them and there was another outfit in town that was much bigger and they would just poached all of our developers. And oh, it's, boy. It, was just, it was just, it just was really hard. hard. It was hard. Yeah, it was really hard. And did you have a programming background? Like what was your background prior to that? Like, oh, what, tell dude, me more. I'm a human resources guy. <laughs> I've been a student of business forever. Like I was the kid with the lemonade stand. I was the kid with, you know, the business in high school. I was the kid with the business in university. 
What was your university business? Oh, we had Gemini waitering services. So this is pre-internet, right? Somebody had started the business and I came into it a little bit later. And um, What was the premise of the business? Home-based waitering services for house parties. So we like got rented out to catering companies. And uh, my buddy Andrew and I were on student senate and we had... uh, an office that the school supplied us. And little did they know that we were like using that office to run our business out of, <laughs> Ooh, I'm not sure I should say that, but anyways, that's a 30 year old story. It'll be a, a like, bill with 30 year old interest. Coming <laughs> that, your that's right. They might take my degree away or something like that. <laughs> it's like we had, you know, pre-internet, we had an ad in the yellow pages and people would leave voicemails for us and we'd call them back from the student Senate office. <laughs> And then you have a plentiful supply of people, totally poor students that could go yeah. waiting home. 100%. 100%. It was great. I love hearing stories about that sort of thing, particularly in universities where there's a lot of you know, there's youthful energy. We're all at the bottom of Mount Stupid at that point and don't know what we don't know. Yeah, 100%. But an abundance of resource as well. One of the most exciting startups that I had the, the pleasure to see and Richard, if you ever listen to this, and I've got to get you on the podcast because I'd love to capture your story a bit more for the listeners. But was Vets Now over in the UK, which started out as a Richard Dixon, who's the founder and CEO. He was a lecturer in medicine at Glasgow University. And then he saw an opportunity to do an out of our service for all of the practices. And so he, you know, all the residents are being paid to ship, uh, they've got these skills. And so he just started an on-call row and started taking calls for all the practices in Glasgow, made their day, and starts making money doing that. And before you know it, he's doing that and same models cropping up all over the country. Super smart. Super smart. And just found the untapped resource, which had a need and had energy, and created this mega business out of it. And did, did well. I think he just flies around in his helicopter now. <laughs> so Richard, feel free to correct any of that and reach out. And I'll reach out to you, actually get you on the show but it's amazing to hear that sort of entrepreneurial energy and spirit where where did that energy come from in you is there a a germination point for that i don't really know but from the youngest age like i had a paper route when i was six and i i think you know deep down something for me to explore with a therapist someday is probably like money and be the moment money insecurity or something like that so so martin how how do you feel i'm not telling you about my mother man forget it Actually, that's not true. There may be a story about my mother. There's a very funny story about my mother, actually. Okay. I'm going to make a note on the, the paper here. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, it's so creepy. I'm like, you know, eight-year-old kid walking home from school, and I get approached by some guy on the street, right? This is like, I mean, I'm going to give away my age. Like, this is like the late 70s, early 80s. And, uh, you know, today you'd be like, oh, some guy approached you on the street. It was like, hey, kid do you want to make some money? Do you want a paper route? And like, he had like the t- Toronto star, you know, newspaper bag. And I was like, I want the bag. Yes. yes. I want to It's like a badge of honor when yeah. you're a kid, wasn't it? The North York mirror. And the- were they like bright orange with a big black strap? Like, was that, would the yours look like that as well? No, this one was like a big white one, like a big white bat with the name of the newspaper printed on it. And, it's like, you know, you could fold me in half and stick me in the bag. It's like... <laughs> it's, there's some probably spinal deformation you know, I got from lugging that much you know, weight as a kid. You know, I had no business taking this paper. And the one paper was like, you had to have the papers out every morning, six days a week, you know, six o'clock in the morning. Early. Yeah. It's like, you and know, you're in Toronto. Yeah. Like through the winter. And so like my dad, like bless him, like, you know, he's like 
you know, has his own career and stuff. And he would get up in the morning on cold days oh. and drive me. And oh, it's like, that is so sweet. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like, look at or my, you'll die. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I pity the poor fool. <laughs> so, yeah, I just always was, I was hustled. Yeah. So Okay. And then veterinary medicine, like the detour in there, like how did that stumble happen? Yeah. Or not stumble, but. So we had this piece of marketing automation, right? And so we're cold calling in to companies around in sales forces. It was sort of a sales, it was like follow-up sales expert Fuse was the, was the product. Was that the name? Yeah. Fo- was it called Fuse or follow-up sales expert? Well, was, we called it Fuse and it was for follow-up sales expert. And, you know, the idea was, you know, this is like, just as email marketing is sort of coming to the fore. And uh, the idea was you could sort of pick, it was highly variable content in small volume. So you like have like a, a template for an email and you sort of pick the content block that, you know, we, today we talked about, you know, A, C, and F, topics A, C, and F. So I pick topic A, C, and F, and it po- populates this uh, HTML email, trackable, all this stuff. It's pretty clever. I mean, built in a garage with spit tape and bubble gum using Perl. Right. <laughs> but... And, you know, got crushed by the likes of the exact targets of the world and those kinds of things. And we cold called in to Pfizer Animal Health in Canada, a guy by the name of John Hayward, who's still in the industries at Royal Canaan now. And John says, uh, Martin, like what you've just described, like could be a perfect solution for the compliance problem in veterinary medicine. I'm like, John, it's like almost tailor-made for the compliance to solve the compliance problem in veterinary medicine. So listen, my team's coming to Montreal in a couple of weeks. Why don't you come make a presentation? And we'll, we'll talk about doing a, a pilot project together. I was like, fantastic. So, you know, get off the phone. I feel like I've just slayed the dragon. Then I quickly open up Google. It's like compliance problem, veterinary medicine. Like, what is this? What are we talking about? <laughs> you just <laughs> have the balls just to go like, sure, sure. It's like, yeah. There's a theme in many entrepreneurs that I've met is a willingness to like just jump off a cliff and build the plane around you before you splat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I talk about building the bus, driving the bus and maintaining the bus all at the same time. And it is, I really like in my head, I kind of view it as like, you know, you follow these little threads and breadcrumbs and you kind of you know, mitigate risk along the way and think about what could kill you and you know, increasingly, I think about businesses, I talked a little bit about this this week in our presentations, I think about businesses from sort of three lenses. The first is a revenue lens. Like I always ask people like, so how do you make money? What's your revenue model? Where does it come from? What are the sources of revenue? How profitable are those sources of revenue? And it's just a very sort of top line focused. The second is people and culture, which is sort of always been my passion and why I went to HR school. And then the third, increasingly, is financial control. Like, you just have to be a good steward of the business and really understand the financial levers of the business. Okay. So there's some rich stuff to get into there, which I think is, although from your perspective from outside of the industry and having worked and learned a lot about it, but from just general business running principles, I'd love to look at that. And and so top line people and culture and the really the books but actually you said something at the start there which made me think a little bit of Richard Branson and that was the risk mitigation that was something that he always he does these crazy things he's very very focused on mitigating the risk so that they're not as dangerous as they appear whether it's a crazy stunt or running a business I wonder if that will come out a bit as we talk about the other things but I'm kind of curious about 
where that it's not odd, but it sticks out to me that that's the first thing to go to there. Well, it's from a place of panic, right? It, it's survival <laughs> yeah. mode, right? It's like, okay, what are the top three things that can kill my business? Oh, I don't have the right people in place, or I have the wrong, or more or worse, I have the wrong people in place. You know, there could be a change in legislation, there could be a competitive threat, and sort of just scanning the environment all around you and just collecting as much information as you can to be like, okay, what could kill me? And how real a threat is that? And then just start mitigating, 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 like partnerships, you know, put savings in place. Yes. Like. I use the steeple framework. Can I do that? Or the pestle sometimes. That's the other way I've heard it said, where you look at sociological or societal, technological, oh, yes. environmental. Yes, yes, I've seen. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've seen that model. Do you have a, a tool or a thing that, you know, if, if you're advising business owners, you know, it's, it's effectively how not to be blockbuster video. Right. What are the big things that you've seen impacting or hurting people? And you've looked at a lot of numbers and data in practice management now. kind of want to maybe sense check or fact check a little bit on what is a good performing practice? What is a moderate? What is a, a bad performing practice? I don't want to get away from the first three points there. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to just work down through those three sort of lenses on business that you look at. And maybe just like what lessons have you learned along the way as your entrepreneurial journey has progressed in each of those three categories yeah i mean i'd probably want to start with people and culture yeah. first because like honestly that's the root the of it all like it all comes from people and culture and i spent a lot of time thinking about leadership and being a good leader and building good leaders and i left vet success earlier this year but i was able to do that because i was surrounded by really really good leaders like it is that business is frankly in many ways sort of better off without me it kind of it grew up and there's just brilliant leaders and I think you know there's it's a bit blunt blunt dissection, blunt dissection. right it's a little bit blunt to sort of suggest that there are sort of only two kinds of people in the world you know those who surround themselves with people who are smarter than them and those who surround themselves with people who are not smarter than them and like I always 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 want to hire somebody who's smarter than me, better than me, faster than me, and encourage and nurture that. How did you fund that? Like when you're starting up, that's one of the big challenges is you, you can't afford the best. And I find that people fall into two camps as well. You've got people who are poodles, who are, they're there for the paycheck, they're quite happy to be pampered, but when it's five o'clock, that's their effort done and they're off skate. And then there's the Wolverine who are like, they're the, they're the ones that are hungry. They're going to hunt in the forest and they're willing to go further and push harder. And some people, I think the other word we might use there and used it earlier when we weren't talking, they're scrappy. Yeah. And others are just, they're not scrappy at all. How do you go about acquiring people to help the business grow when, and I don't know how you funded the startup, if it was bootstrapped or invested, but like when you've not got any money and you're, you're kind of, your hand to mouth. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those, there's one of those things that can kill you, right? Like that's the risk mitigation. And like, I always think and talk about total compensation. Like it's never just about like, what is your paycheck? It's like, what else do you get by working here? And so, you know, I think we talked earlier, I used flexible working space and, you know, work from wherever and work, remote work as a key component of a sort of strategic hiring advantage long before the pandemic. You know, it was like such a joke, right? The first couple of weeks of the pandemic, some buddy of mine is like, 
I just had a virtual happy hour. I'm like, I've been doing virtual happy hours for five years. It's like, and so in some ways I'm kind of angry about the pandemic because it killed my, <laughs> it killed my strategic advantage of being able to have the competitive advantage of being able to hire people from wherever. So part of it is, I think, talking about people will work for a lower paycheck if they have a place that they love, they're respected, they can have as much time off as they want, there's flexibility. I don't care when you do your work. I mean, within reason, I mean, you know, I get that there are some businesses where you, like a vet practice, for example, you have to have people in at the time. But I just feel like you can apply a little bit of creativity and be flexible about how you let people work and let people work the way they want to work and get out of their way. That's worth a lot of, you can put economic value on it because people will work for you for a lower hourly rate for that kind of flexibility. You know, what are the lessons that you've learned about managing people in leadership over the years of building business? Oof. Are the most important ones? What were the bad ones? <laughs> well, uh, well, let, maybe start with the, the ones that I think, I mean, the sort of respecting everybody and sort of giving them space to be creative and space to just do their best work and be their best selves. And support the hell out of people. I mean, you never really know what's going on in someone's life. And just sort of remembering that when they, you know, are having an off day or a bad day or an off week or even an off month. And you stand by, you be loyal, you be supportive, and that pays dividends over and over again. I think that's one. It's easy to say hire slow, fire fast, but Everyone's uh, hiring slow, right? Now. <laughs> well, everybody's hiring slow right now for sure. But like it is mission critical to not just take a warm body. Like I would rather suffer shorthanded, suffer slower growth, suffer not having somebody around than having the wrong person. You will leap forward. You know, if you accept a, a year of flat growth because you're someone down or even a shrinkage to get the right person beyond that who stays with you. The next year and the year after that are going to more than compensate, right? A hundred percent. And the flip side's also true. And I've not really been really good at it, but being willing to say goodbye to people when they no longer fit, right? That person who was great, you know, in the first three years, their interests have changed. Something has changed and, and make it easy, like give them an easy off ramp, right? You can be the author of your own exit story, but it is going to be an exit story. And sort of, you know, even if you, if you can make it their idea. And they know. I mean, people know that it's time to go. Yeah. They just sometimes need a, a gentle shove. A little nudge. <laughs> a little, yeah. Yeah, a nudge rather than a kick. Yeah. Perhaps the way. Have you got numbers from your work with Vet Success? Is there any, you know, we think that there is a correlation between culture and performance. And we've, we've, there's plenty of data out there in the wider world or there's certainly reports yeah papers publishing it but is there data in veterinary medicine that you've seen for like is it quantifiable or can we add a, put a quantum on it of what is the value of good culture i mean so to my knowledge nobody has sort of looked at the so the place you'd want to go would be to the financials right to profitability right which is with vet books now my current sort of task is to try and understand profitability but it's super super hard to do super hard to get to profitability. Okay, so then you'd be like, okay, well, maybe better practices define better how you will. Great culture, low turnover, whatever, have higher revenue, better client retention. But to my knowledge, and maybe if somebody knows of a, of, of a study, they could let us know, but nobody's done the 
at scale, right? A big study of like employees sat in practice against, bounced against apples to apples revenue. Revenue, net and, profit. Yeah. That would be interesting. It'd be super that, fun to do. I'm, we, not, I'm not sure how or who we do that. I mean, there are people who are doing culture studies for sure. Yeah. Like VHMA might be a good place to. Yeah. We do. I'm feeling like this is a conversation for us to develop. Yeah. Yeah. Much, like, yeah. Certainly we've done some work in culture, measuring culture scores and like ENPS. Yeah. Yeah. And mapping that to you know, practice profitability, but doing it over a cycle rather than a year. Because to build culture, sometimes you have to really you're going to go through some pain to yeah, get, yeah, get yeah. the cultural alignment that shows up in the P&L. And then, but once you've got it right, it's like, okay, over a five year period, if you invest in leadership skills here, what is the output of that five years down the line? Yeah. It'd be fun to geek out on this a little bit because you think about like, we've been hanging out at the PSI vet symposium and, you know, there was this practice of the year that, you know, that looks like an amazing practice. Mm, you kind of want to like dig into like, okay, so let's look at those practices. The other people who might be interesting to talk to would be some of the evaluators, right. To, who sort of get to know the practices and, and get to profit. They get, they get to profitability. Hard and yeah. yeah. Soft data really. Hmm. And that's maybe a 2BC. I feel like yeah, we yeah, yeah. on that a bit more. That oh, would be oh good. Another project. I know. <laughs> I know right? Oh, oh. Tennis ball. Oh, yeah, shiny Labrador's pe- shiny, chasing shiny, shiny penny. <laughs> oh, good. Let's, let's start another business. Because what we need is more work. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. So, so kind of people in culture, you've got the sales component at the top and then the, the bottom. Could you speak to the other two areas? Uh, sales? Yep. Uh, yeah. So... You know, without revenue, you actually don't have a business. I joked for the longest time, you know, Vet Success started roughly around the same time as Uber was sort of on its rise. And I was like, hey, we are more profitable than Uber. <laughs> Our sales are lower, but we're, we are more profitable than Uber. Right. right. Like without revenue, you just, you don't actually have any, you don't have a business. I think understanding what the levers are, you know, the magic of business to me is putting the pieces together properly, right? And so it's like, and there are a lot of pieces to put together properly. Did you listen to the marketplace and build a product and service that people want, that they're willing to pay for, that, you know, costs you less to deliver than what they're willing to pay for it? Did you have a few, not false starts, but blind alleys that you walked up as you were building that success? You know, I was fortunate in that, you know, we parlayed the experience and successes we had with Pfizer in Canada to a sponsorship with Elanco in the U.S. And so, you know, it's really hard to convince a practice to spend, you know, 69, 79, 89, 99, 129 bucks a month on practice metrics. And corporatization at the time was starting. I mean, there were the bigs. There was, you know, NBA, VCA, you know, and the sort of starts of the thrives of the world and those kinds of things. But but it wasn't nearly as frenetic as it is now. And so, you know, corporate sponsorship made it a lot easier as we started. What were the, I'm kind of really interesting in, and f- for people listening who perhaps don't understand, because there's a lot of vets don't even understand what a dashboard is. Maybe tell us like, what did vet success do? What does vet success do? And what is the value of that information? And then I'd love to go into a part three there going, okay, what are the key metrics that you were seeing, the drivers of the business, the numbers, talk about what the, the indicate 
practice health. Yeah. So, you know, Vet Success very early on normalized data from the PIMS and was able to do apples to apples comparisons. We talk about like, imagine you're flying a plane. Like, do you want to get on a plane that doesn't have an altimeter and you don't know how high you're flying or a speedometer, how fast you're flying, right? Right in clouds or speedometer, how fast you're flying or a compass, what direction you're flying. It's exactly that for your business. It's like, are we moving in the right direction on revenue, on visits, on lapsing patients, you know, and just sort of these key metrics that I remember early in my career, I was invited to a a student gathering at the university, right, for business leaders. So we we were supposed to be these business leaders, you know, mentoring these university students. And we're at the, we're at the cocktail reception and, you know, I'm there with my marketing automation company, Rayback Communications, and, and I'm up against like Microsoft and, <laughs> you know, like these big, you know, IBM and these really big corporate names. It's about getting a dose of imposter syndrome. Oh my God, it was so brutal. It was so brutal. And so these eager university students come up to me and they say like, um, so can you tell us what some of the most important metrics in your business are? And at the time, like I, right, I'm like, well, yeah, there's one metric that's really important, my bank balance. You see, come payday, if I have enough money in the bank to make payroll, it's been a good week. <laughs> it's like, and that's kind of the reality of how many businesses are running, right? And especially like more mom and pop style vet practices, same kind of thing. Yeah. And that's kind of a lead into the financial control piece because, you know, increasingly, I think that there's a very robust and important space for independent vets. I think there's a space for corporatization and for corporate practices for sure as well. But I really do believe that there's place for, you know, veterinary practices to be independent, standalone businesses that support the owner's family and community and all of the people that work in that practice and provide good jobs and keep the profits in the community and those kinds of things. Like, a, What has you upbeat or optimistic for that? I mean, part of it's just my own bias for entrepreneurship, right? right? Part of it's my own bias for entrepreneurship. I share that optimism, by the way. Yeah, I, and, and I just, you know, I think business ownership is not for everybody, but it is really good for some people. You see some of the practices that we met this week who are like thrilled to focus on their business, to provide a good place to work, to provide great service to their community, to be contributing members of their community. And it's not that corporates don't or can't do that, but as soon as you know big capital is introduced, they just have different priorities. The problem is, is that it's a marketplace. There's competition for the delivery of service. And if you don't think that big corporate or corporatized practices aren't in financial control, you are sorely mistaken. Those corporate practices are not just looking at their bank balance and saying like, okay, do I have enough to make payroll? Do I have enough to buy a new car? Do I? No, man. They've got their ratios dialed in. They know what their cogs are. They know what their labor costs are. They've got it really figured out. And the nice thing about technology now is that we can level the playing field. An independent practice can compete with a corporatized practice. Okay, that's a great place to explore a bit more. So just on the notion of knowing your numbers, 
that's an area of perennial weakness for veterinary practice owners. Agree or disagree? Uh, so agree on the business side, but they've got an analog in their own practice because they run labs and they wouldn't dream of not looking at those they numbers. Wouldn't dream, that's right. They, they, and they treat their patients, yep. you know, by the numbers. A business is the same. Yeah. And when you've got, when you're mentioning, you know, these ratios, turnover of goods, their days, but, you know, it's when we're making decisions and when people are freaking out. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is a cultural thing. You use turnover, which is... Turnover of stock. Right, it's uh, like like, revenue, right? No, that's like how quickly you turn over your inventory. Oh, 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 inventory turns. Okay, inventory inventory turns, yes. Actually, turnover is one that perennially causes me problems. Right, because you guys talk about turnover and you mean inventory turns. Revenue. Oh, you do mean revenue. revenue, Turnover is revenue, but turnover is also like stock turnover. Inventory turns, yeah. And yeah, inventory. We tend to call it stock, not inventory right. over there, right. over here in the UK. We need a universal translator. We a babel fish. <laughs> Pop it in our ear. When you're facing things like pay raises and things like that, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know how much you could give. It's an educated guess. hundred percent. Versus you're you're going then, you're a really big disadvantage. I mean, it's like going to war without anything like an appreciation of the technology you're going to go to war against. Yeah. Decisions are certain decisions when it comes to corporate decision making, whereas they're they're almost you know lick your finger, pop it in the air, and see which way the wind's blowing, and hope to goodness you can make enough revenue. Uh, yeah, and listen, that's also part of the entrepreneurial journey. And some <laughs> like sometimes you just have to make decisions with the best information you have. But there's no but excuse, it have to be like that. right? It doesn't have to be like that. That's right. There's no excuse. So, what are the numbers then that practice owners should be looking at, or people who are interested in setting up their own practice, and how do they get that information? Yeah. So, I mean, you could almost spend you know a week just <laughs> you know looking at different metrics and numbers and ratios and those kinds of things. But you know, businesses are really at their core element. Quite simple, Similar. right? You quite simple, and then you start unpacking it from there. So it's simplicity, right? Top line revenue, your cost of goods, your you know fixed expenses, and your profitability. Yeah. Okay, get those really under control. You know the Aha chart of accounts is I'm thrilled to see getting widespread adoption, which means that we can you know start looking at apples to apples comparisons. Is that freely available? Is uh-huh. that yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Google go, go AHA, chart AHA, chart yeah. AHA chart of accounts. And, and uh, yeah, totally accessible. Now, it's work to convert your QuickBooks over to it. And, and you know, it's much like we've talked about in other contexts. It's sort of a muscle that needs to get exercised. But, like, once you start going to the gym with your financials, you can get into pretty good shape. And, you know, it's amazing when I started really focusing on financial control, sort of five things happened right away to me. The first is like immediately I slept better at night, even when my numbers were shit. Am I, am I allowed to say shit? You're allowed to say it's plug yes, section. I love that. You, I mean, if, if that's all you say, I'll be minorly disappointed. <laughs> I'll try. We, to, I'll I think try. we've had occasional f bombs. Nobody's dropped a c bomb yet. Oh no! That come on. That, that, that that's like. The, Let's not that, do that. That's that's nuclear. Yeah, right. <laughs> Why do people pronounce it like I that? I don't know. I don't Is know. that that was George W. used to do that I think nuclear so. bomb? I'm nuclear like, is a nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> We're all part of the nuclear family. <laughs> so you know, even when my numbers weren't great, 
the fact that I knew what they were. It's like you can't hide. And you know what to do with them. You, right. There's it's a like, solution. Right. I mean, it's not. A, some of the solutions aren't pleasant and they're tough decisions to make. But the numbers are staring at you right there. Your choice is A or B. And B is not good. <laughs> it's yeah, like, right. So, you know, I slept better at night. I was able to make more informed decisions. My bankers and financiers were more responsive to me and faster in their response to me. Because they were sleeping better at night? Well, I mean, when you're doing well, leverage is super powerful, right? It's easier to do when money was more free. You know, high interest rate environments are not much fun. And then another space, that, you know, one of the things that we did, my favorite, so we had a, we had a, a more aligned team. One of my favorite meetings of the month was, you know, the bookkeepers would be done with the books and the entire leadership team would go line by line through the PL. I haven't really checked with my friends who were on my on my LT. I suspect they didn't enjoy that meeting as much as I did. But it's like my absolute favorite, favorite meeting of the month is like line by line. Like last month we did X in revenue. This month we did Y. We had planned to do, you know, Z or Z or whatever you want to call oh, that. Whatever you want to call that letter. You know, why is there a delta, why? right? Why is yep. there a delta on our marketing spend? Why is there a delta on our labor spend? Are we going to, you know, execute this big project? You know, here, here it is June. We see where we are. We've got this plan for November. Are we going to pull the trigger or not pull the trigger? And just like managing against those deltas, it was magic. We talked, like the way I think about it is when you manage your numbers on a monthly basis, it's like having 12 shots on net, right? And like, I don't care who you are or what, like, I'm sorry to use a sports metaphor if people don't like sports metaphors, but, but you know, 12 shots on net are going to yield you a better result than just like waiting for your financials. You know, oh, my accountant prepared my financials and Once here's my, and here's my number. It's six months after the close of the year. I'm already in the firefight of the next year. And it's kind of like, huh, sign off on the financials and you're done. That's not management. That's just sort of your fiduciary obligation, the bare, bare minimum fiduciary obligation to produce financials. It's missing a huge opportunity in terms of you know, leveraging your opportunities or or dealing with the problems quickly, isn't it? Yeah. I was wondering if we we could dig into, so in terms of, so I'm a practice owner. Yep. How would you set up a dashboard for, let's say, general practice, you know, three-doctor hospital? Like, what does the owner need to know? What does the veterinarian need to know? Like, what are the ratios that you would see the, the best practices focusing on? Yeah, so I'm a little rusty, eh? Because <laughs> I've been... I've Wait, been, stop. <laughs> right, right. That's right. I'm a little rusty. But, you know, uh, so I like to, th again, thinking about sort of like, okay, top line revenue. Yep. Turnover. That'll work. <laughs> turnover. Tyler's good. Tyler's good. Top, top line. Both top, are good. Top, top line revenue, right? And so what are some of the, you know, what are some of the metrics related to revenue? Well, visits. Are they up or down? What is your revenue by various categories? This becomes a dynamic sort of conversation because you can't just think about the revenue by category. If your revenue is up, but it's your least profitable category, you know, you got to pay attention to that too so that there is nuance to it. I always loved, 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 loved the metric of lapsing patients, right? Mm. So this idea that, you know, everybody's like, how many new patients did we get? That is not the number. I don't care how many new patients you got. What I want to know is how many patients has it been 18 months since they visited the practice and they haven't come back? Because you know what? If they haven't come back in 18 months, 
they might not be coming back. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a harder one to track. There are, you know, systems like the like the Vet Success and a, a number of others now that have got that number. But that's super important because that's directly related to revenue and the future value of the practice. I do look at my own um, PIMS and we track active clients per month. Define active. Twelve months. So they purchase something from us in 12 months, the ah, system's up. To do I don't like that. Okay, I, this is really cool to sort of riff on because everyone's sort of got a different vibe. And our, it's funny, I look at the financials of my practice and sometimes I'm like, how does this make sense? Because we've got a very high number of active clients per month. So a number of clients you buy from us in a month yeah. is way more than the total number of rolling 12-month active clients. So we would have, and I think that's because they're visiting, like a client will visit us more frequently. Oh yeah, multiple visits. Correct. Right. So if you look at it on a monthly basis, we have probably nearly 4,000 active client interactions in a year, but we don't have anything no, like don't. that. We've got, we've, you know, the, the real number is closer to 2,000. Yeah. And in actual fact, the real number is probably significantly south. Yeah, so that. just to check that, just yeah, to make sure right. that I'm tracking. This is the idea that Mrs. Jones comes in and buys a can of cat food every week and says hi to the correct says hi to the team. Correct, and it's her social visit, and you track that as three visits. Correct, right? that, would, like, that would show up as uh, now it wouldn't be Mrs. Jones wouldn't show up three times in that one because it would still be the same client. Right, it would be three invoices. It right. would mess with the average transaction. Three value. three visits. Thanks a fucking lot, Mrs. Jones. Right, um, <laughs> but she would count as one there. But if Mrs. Jones then visited the next month, she'd count as another one. Yeah. So as long as she's buying a bag of food every month, then well, well, it's better than a can every two days, you know. The interesting thing is that the number of new client registrations in a year is like 60, 65. Actually, fact, we put in some practice controls to during COVID just to, mm-hmm. you could apply, you couldn't register. And we would say, okay, if you believe what we believe, then cool, step right up. If you don't, then please move along. So I, th- I think you lectured on that topic. Yeah. And- I had, I had missed that part of your lecture and I had, I had caught wind of that because I heard some practices talking about like how brilliant that was and how they wanted to put that in place. Well, it was just the notion of, you know, everyone's randomly letting in A, B, C, D, E, and F clients and attributing equal value to each and attributing equal time to each. Or actual F clients are getting asymmetric time because they create all the problems, yeah. don't spend the money. And so they consume resource in chasing bills, dealing with like bad reviews and just making people miserable. And meanwhile, if they get an appointment and your A can't get an appointment, like that's financially is equally asymmetric and really scary if you lost your A. So we just said, you know what, we're not going to get overrun. We're just going to put a gatekeeper up, put a bouncer on the door of our nightclub Mm -hmm. that says, we're about wellness. We're about caring for patients. If you're about that too, we'd love to work with you. But we've got expectations of what we expect you to do. Like, we want you to do the dental. We want you to do the parasite treatment. Yeah. And if you repeatedly say no, then we're going to act on that. Because our brand promise to our customers is, if you choose our practice, your pet will live two or three years longer and better Mm -hmm. because you chose our practice. And that doesn't happen if you don't do the preventives, if you don't catch the disease early, if you don't feed a decent diet, if you let your pet's teeth get go so rotten that they're in pain for six years. It doesn't happen. So so we wanted to create some form of barrier, but also give the team the opportunity to work with the best people and not get overrun. And that worked really well. It was a bit scary because I was like, oh, you know, 
what's happening to our new client numbers. Yeah. And they did dip a bit, but the quality of the interactions went up. But what always concerns me is we register still, like maybe we register 600 new clients a month, but that active client number on our system, because it's tracking for 12 months, it creeps up behind that. And I think because we've got the vaccine creep, like the vaccine always seems to slip by a month. So now they're not showing up in it. Those ones that are visiting us once a year, they don't look like an active client in our system. So I'm kind of keen now. You pulled a face at me when you're like, oh, I, know, I, don't I like know, that I for 12 months. I know. So go ahead. Tell I, me your definition. I, I always went with 18 months because, and I, I talk about the difference between me and my wife, right? Okay. I take Austin to the vet and when I leave, I'm like, okay, when am I coming back? I'm putting it in my calendar, right? My wife, were she to take Austin to the vet, would, you know, would leave, not book the next appointment, and then would get the reminder and intend with the best of intents to take Austin and then, you know, would get busy and then there'd be a, another, you know, reminder. And so it's easily like 13, 14 months. And if you're doing a 12, if you're using a 12 month and they're not bad pet owners, they're just busy. Right. Right. And so, you know, if you're using, you know, 12 months, you end up losing some of those patients. It's interesting you say that because that was always a little bit of a fear I have. But it's also it's kept us very on our toes because well if they're if they're slipping a year on the on the P and L they're not showing up in that year. Yeah. So in a sense, I felt comfortable with okay that that's going to make us work harder to build a more robust reminder system. So and actually pre-book that next appointment wherever we could. Can I ask a heretical question? And I just don't know the answer. <laughs> Does Austin really have to go to the vet every twelve months? He's a three-year-old healthy boy. <laughs> I don't think. So, doctor, am I okay? I think you are. I think you are. And isn't this the place where distance touch points with pet owners really starts to become more important? Because, like, you've got the bathtub effect of loads of visits early on in life with puppy visits. And then they're pretty healthy, once a year annuals. And then you've got the, okay, now we're getting old and, like, everything starts going wrong as you age. And the whole wellness thing was about filling that bathtub with preventive care. So, yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah, but no, but yeah, but no, but... Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, this is the thing, right? We're like, you have to be a good pet owner and bring your pet in every 12 months, but... I would say yes, because dentistry is an area of great interest for me. And I think, like, you know, even if it's one year to one year, not getting a... A, a profi and a, an assessment done is madness. I agree. If you're human, if it's three to five years for a dog, you know, that's always the way I pitched it to pet owners was saying, like, if you wouldn't have gone to the vet for five years and you didn't brush your teeth every day, you would have pretty bad mouth. As oh, well. to be clear, before I start getting hate mail, uh, I'm just... <laughs> you I'm just, asked, so I'm going to come back. With no, no, friends, I'm, just being so. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm just I'm just being curious, right? Like, I, I am not a DVM, right? And so, like, as a curious pet owner, like, when I think about it, I just think about, like, 18 months feels about, like, sort of at 12 months, pay attention. And this is why I don't like that 12-month metric, because if you're harsh about it, then if you want to make sure you you maximize your number, then really what you're managing to, towards is 10 months because you want to you want to remind people at 10 months so that they make that th day three well, by 364, to, yeah. right? Right. The reminder kicked in about six weeks before the, the due date. Yeah. And the sequence triggers off then. Yeah. So, I don't know. Interesting. And, by the way, related to revenue. Like, to bring it back to, like, how do we, you know, related to revenue is sort of the predictability of the business. Right? Yeah. And do you have the systems in place to pull people back in? And as busy as practices have been, 
I'm just too big a chicken to take my foot off the pedal, right? Like, what if we stop reminding people and they go somewhere else? Right. <laughs> like, And we have a recession coming. I'm actually kind of, kind of interested in your thoughts on that a little future casting. You know, it feels like we are, and actually, fact, I saw a paper saying, like, technically, we're, we're already in two yeah. quarters of negative growth. So yeah, we're yeah, kind yeah. of technically in a recession, which I'm not sure how that's different to actually being in a recession. I don't think it is. It's just people are saying it softly so as not to totally yeah, that's right. spook everyone at the moment. To macroeconomists and bankers, maybe. <laughs> if we work on the hypothesis, and you can shoot the hypothesis down. I'm now laughing because I used the word. No, it was the thesis earlier we said. Right, it was like, right. it doesn't match the thesis. It doesn't match my thesis. <laughs> like, what does that mean? If we work on the, if our thesis is we're going into recession and challenge that if you feel differently, is that a bad thing for veterinary medicine? You know, I'm, I'm getting a little gray. And part of that is because I've lived through a couple of recessions already, <laughs> right? I mean, recessions are part of the natural business cycle. I mean, the... Economic psychobabble is, you know, this is all part of the natural order of things. And business owners who have not gone through recession would be wise to find business owners who have gone through recession because it is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It is unpredictable. You know, revenue can dry up. Now, I think vet med, while not recession proof, you know, like... If your dog gets hit by a car, you're going to the vet, right? Yeah. You see some of the softer sort of services that are perceived to be, I'm not saying they are optional, but perceived to be more, you know, like maybe I'm not going to do 12 months of parasiticide. Maybe I'm only mm-hmm. going to do eight, yeah. right? Or uh, fecal exams. Or, or yeah, fecal work, perhaps. Right. Like I'm no, just going to be- vulnerability a, there. I'm going to be a little, you know, another way to think about it is my dentist, right? My human dentist. Right. They always try and they're like, oh, you're, you've got to book six months. I said, listen, I'm self-insured, right? Like I don't like I'm an entrepreneur. I pay with these dental. Fees. So two things. Number one, when I sit down in, when I sit down in the chair, I tell them that I'm self-insured <laughs> because I know that my bill is going to be less than if, than if I were really insured. I love that. So that's the first thing. And then they say like, okay, well, we've got to book you six months out. I'm like, can we do eight? Because... I'll see the dentist, you know, three times every 24 months instead of four times every 24 months. And that saves like... You've still got your teeth. I'm doing okay. doing okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially for Flo- a man of your, your, your vintage years. Flo- fluoride in the water is a really good thing. And please don't send hate mail. <laughs> so, oh, good. We're getting into fluoride in the water. I know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, no, don't touch it. Don't touch it. But, but, it. I was like, awkward silence. Like, no, 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 don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> The, I mean, it's better than some of the things that could be in the water, let's be honest. Yeah, true. I wonder, again, with your Vista, you know, you've, you've got the new business, uh, Vet Books. You've got this wealth of sort of experience of working with and supporting practices. What advice would you have for practice owners? You know, you, you, you're running your own business and so you're thinking about the market still. Yeah. And I think that's some of the value of conversations I enjoy having with people like yourself who sort of steeped in some numbers and and data rather than just opinion like that that it's being formed like a lot of the time in practice we form opinion anecdotally yeah 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 whereas i feel like when you're dealing with data you're forming it more analytically and and more evidence-based yeah what are the things that you've found to become a bit universally true about practices that are uh you know the, the best practices always do 
And one of the things that the worst practices tend to always do, and best and worst, I'm going to give that context around financial numbers as well. Yeah. So, you know, remembering that, you know, the reason I started VetBooks, right, is because with Vet Success, spectacularly powerful numbers coming out of the PIMS, normalized, make great managerial decisions all around revenue and visits and a number of other like PIMS based things. And, you know, practice owners would say to me, you know, this is really great. And I've got a lot of actionable stuff here. Now, how am I doing on my profitability? And I'm like, your profitability, I don't have access to your profitability through your PIMS. I need to know like every expense that runs through your business. I need to understand your labor costs. I need to like do all of your bookkeeping. Practices are like, okay. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> was that another, sure, we can do your bookkeeping? 100%. Oh, shit. 100%. I was like, honey, I'm starting a bookkeeping company. <laughs> you're crazy. And it's hard. It's really hard. And we're on the sort of on the front end of that journey. It's perhaps a little trite, but good practices that focus on the fundamentals, right? So like if you, you know, I I talked about, you know, reviewing your numbers, like rigorous numbers, like your financials, having a set of financials every month, taking 12 shots on net. If you focus on just a little bit of profitability every month, at the end of the year, it's kind of just magic. You end up with a successful business and you are profitable because you're managing the profitability levers. In May, I can make a change and I can measure in June or July whether or not that change has had any effect. To extend that analogy, you're not necessarily having to score touchdowns or three-pointers every time you score a single point or a field goal. Consistently, you can just still win move, games. Just move the ball forward yep. a little bit every time what gets in the way of that i mean it seems so self-explanatory uh fear Mm -hmm. frankly just the day-to-day firefight what's that fear of fear of the numbers i think i I think fear of the numbers i think fear of like i don't like we spoke to dozens of practices this week who are like you know i know i need to understand my financials better i've just never really learned how Mm. right so there's like this education maybe this is my takeaway right like we need to sort of demystify financial management right did you learn are there any resources you would recommend for people that were not you know our audience the veterinarians they're never going to be massively into those numbers and they're always going to have the clinical addiction issue like none of them in rehab yet from that and there will be but what can they do to get some lucidity if you like around numbers some clarity what are the the wins that can get them that 10 percent more that that shot on goal like so you know i hate to say go to the internet (laughs) but like you know things like quickbooks and zero and all of the accounting systems have dozens and dozens and dozens of tutorials for of finance and accounting for non-financial people Mm. right dozens of them highly credible you know highly useful it's just like we were talking about earlier it's just a matter of choosing consciously to make the time to make it a priority and this is why i think about businesses in these three lenses right it's like you know yes understand your revenue levers make sure your pricing is right make sure you've got revenue coming in the door make sure you've got your active patient counts and all of that fine people and culture uh, we have to do another podcast all together just to talk about people and culture it's it's like that's like that you know, that's where people should spend most of their time. But increasingly, you have to prioritize financial control. It's not just enough to say, like, I look at my bank balance, I had enough to make payroll, I'm good. 
or I wait until June when my accountant gives me my numbers for last year and woof, thank goodness we made a little bit of profit. Like, Amen. You got to be in control. I'm keeping an eye on time for you because I know you've got to scoot off and catch a flight. So I've, I've got tons more questions and maybe we do a round two of this at some point. But be super fun. Active client numbers per full-time equivalent vet. Everyone's got a take on this. What's a healthy number and what are the constraints, I suppose, or what are the conditions of a business? What numbers are healthy for what kind of business? So I'm super uncomfortable putting a number to putting a number out there. So I know you're trying to peg me down and be like, "What's?" That? I'm just curious. What's I'm the, curious. What What's the number? I mean, like, cause I've heard like you know a very good boutique business could be like five fifty up to you know uh, like a high throughput, high volume clinic might be twelve hundred or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a reasonable range. But the you know the real answer is, you know, are you running the business or is the business running you? Right? It's like there is something to be said for sanity, right? And so I'm stumbling a little bit because you know it's, it's all related, right? Go ahead, take a 10% across the board price increase and see what happens. You might make way more money and see far fewer clients. And your active client numbers are lower than the guy next door who's making- So who cares? Right, right. So it's sort of like, it's sort of, Every business is sort of its own ecosystem. Sort of track your numbers against yourself. That's right. Yeah. Like, that's right. There is absolutely no substitute for knowing your numbers. I don't care what my friend's numbers are. I mean, I'm interested about, like, how do you feel like I'm doing? But really, you can't compare because our inputs are different. Our people are different. Our client base is different. It makes a ton of sense because like you're either going to go to a conference and feel like, oh yeah, I'm knocking out of the park, I'm great, and perhaps slip into complacency mode, or you're going to go and be like, oh, I suck at everything and get kind of freaked out or disheartened. But if I'm hearing what you're saying, and maybe the message I'm getting from our conversation is, you know, focus on an area where there's, you know, you think there can be improvement and just nudge that number, yeah. nudge that number. And and you're starting from a net profit base of zero when you begin. So get it above that and then look at the next thing and get that above that. And at the end of the day, you can only do three or four things over the course of a year. 100%. Like you can't tackle every challenge. Yeah. So put in place, get comfortable with your numbers, know your numbers, your numbers, not anybody else's numbers, your numbers. And, you know, put in place those systems the systematic changes that tackle and see movement in your numbers i love it martin alas we are coming up on time i want to get you on your uber to the airport on schedule it's been great just getting to spend a little time with you this weekend yeah i really enjoyed that too Um, really brought a big smile to my face your bow tie outstanding (laughs) i have to say spirit level would have not been required to tell you it was flat as a pancake and um yeah i hope we have many conversations in the future i look forward to it people want to learn more or or learn more about uh, vet books and speak to you about how they work out that combination of data that can help them actively manage their business yeah where's where's a good place to find Uh, i can be found martin at vetbooks.com vetbooks.com is the website and frankly just hit me up on linkedin i'm super happy to geek out on numbers and talk anytime absolutely attests to that here here martin brilliant safe travels my friend thank you enjoyed that 
Well, that's it for another episode and indeed year of Blunt Dissection. Thank you so much to not just Martin, who was superb. Please shout him out and uh, send him some love on the socials, LinkedIn, wherever you can find him. Uh, but also all of my guests through this year. What a terrific time we've had. And the biggest highlight was getting back to doing face-to-face interviews. If you have loved it, may I ask you a little favor? Could you take just five seconds to leave not just a like or star rating on iTunes, but a little review as well, if you wouldn't mind. All that remains from me and the team here at FedEx International is to thank you so much for listening, bid you a very happy holiday season and a wonderful new year when it comes. We will see you in 2023. Until then, be safe, be well, and be happy.